all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hi! <laughs> I'm Rachel. <laughs> And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Where was the uh, hello? That was just a hi. It was just a hi. Mm. You get what you get in tax season, friends. I guess so. Yeah. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Rate, review, prescribe. Very nice. Thank you. I also thought it might be fun to do a one star review drag. Okay. We got a new one. (laughs) This is fantastic. This is from... Is This Is Fantastic the name of the review? No. (laughs) The name of the review is very poor. The reviewer is No Nonsense 2020. Ah, I bet it is. And are you ready? I'm going to quote directly. Go ahead. I don't care. They have no clue. (laughs) This is not supposed to be entertainment. People died. The ignorance is cringeworthy. That's it. (laughs) This is not supposed to be entertainment. Are you entertained? You shouldn't be. You should be ashamed of yourself mm-hmm. if you find this entertaining. Because how dare you? Because we don't want people to listen and be entertained. It... Are you kidding? <laughs> right. What a horrific thing! People, what a listen, bad idea. People listen to media like podcasts. To feel like they've been in school and it's just an absolute drag and they hate it. It's like self-flagellation. That is the purpose of podcasting, don't you see? No nonsense 2020 understands. <laughs> this is not entertainment. Oh, new hashtag. I love it. It's our new catchphrase. This is not entertainment. We'll get that going yes. on, on all the social meds. <laughs> Or start it, start it yourselves before before we do. Yeah, right. Oh no 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 nonsense. Twenty twenty, you you. I don't think you understand. And just as a little disclaimer, in case anyone else doesn't understand, this is a fucking comedy podcast. And if you can't deal with it, that, it is actually listed as that on, is, on Apple. It is on yes. everything. Yeah. So if you can't handle. Comedy interspersed with tragedy or tragedy interspersed with comedy, you can go fuck off. Don't listen. And here's the thing that I want to say about those type of reviews, because that's not the first time we've had that sort of That's like the main criticism we get. We interject comedy and fun and laughing because we're talking about serious shit. That's the whole point. We mostly do it for ourselves. Yes. Because we're talking about, and we don't censor body counts we don't censor no. language we don't we go into right the horrific you know mm-hmm. parts of the the story because mm-hmm. you need to tell those stories right so the levity is mostly because we need it yeah it's called balance people. <laughs> yes balance and um if we talked about just the tragedy in every episode are we on 137? This is 135 135 yeah. mm-hmm. okay um, either one of us or people listening would have committed suicide by completed suicide by go. now. Yeah, yeah, which is awful. Um, trigger warning for suicide. Yeah, well, it's but it's that, but... but we talk about really depressing shit. Yes, which is why we interject a little bit of humor. Yes, 
to just for everybody for just make sake. it yeah you know just take a deep breath here and there and clearly no nonsense 2020 didn't pick up on that so i'm not sure if when they were saying the ignorance is cringeworthy they were talking about us or themselves because your fucking <laughs> ignorance is cringeworthy that you don't get that a fucking comedy podcast is actually supposed to be entertaining yeah you're supposed to so, laugh here and there i love that people i don't like, know i don't you know if anybody have fun this shouldn't be entertaining like what the fuck is your problem i honestly don't know if anybody does laugh here and there but we do so our uh, our loyal listeners talk about like cracking up at certain things so yeah yeah i guess i've seen that yeah a couple of times i would hope so it would be really sad if people are listening to this with a straight face the whole time it would be that's really sad for us <laughs> we're not as funny as we think no. i guess <laughs> so anyway all right what are we on to um Oh, quick Alex update. She's working oh. on the GoFundMe. Did I say that last time? I don't I'm think I sure. did. I'm not sure. I don't think so. The GoFundMe link wasn't working. She had a, a health setback. She's trying to work on um, getting the GoFundMe up and running. So just a quick check in there. But um, yeah, anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to derail, but... No, no, no. That's that, that's a good reason to derail. Yeah. What is... We'll put the link on or... So I put, I shared the link recently, but it's like not working. One of our listeners um, keyed us into that and was like, oh, it's... I'm like I clicked and it said that the administrator or whatever, you know, the person running the page had to like check some setting or something. So I haven't shared it since just because I don't want to keep sharing a dead link. Sure. So she said she was going to work on it. So I'll keep checking in with her. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so on to part two of Korean Airlines Flight 007. I actually wasn't, I thought maybe I was just going to be dragging out this story for no good reason. This actually like, is a like bit we of do a... With our, like we do with our banter. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> do not be entertained. <laughs> but uh... Hashtag, do not be entertained. <laughs> no, hashtag, this is not entertainment. Oh, there we go. And that's it. Either way, we can do a hashtag for both. <laughs> that reminds me of a, uh, now this is what I call music. Do you remember those? I think they still I think they still them. make them. Yeah. They're on like 75 by now. Yes, yeah, so this is hashtag this is not entertainment. But uh, the the aftermath of this, so I was, I think I built up last week and was sure hoping that there would be enough for a part two. Well, there is. I was very lucky <laughs> because I was afraid. Sounds like you got like more than your pages. money's worth. Yes, yes. So I, I'm glad this was a two-parter as it turns out. So, um, oh, and uh, we... Somebody expressed disappointment that we spoiled the ending <laughs> in the beginning of this episode last week. In mm -hmm. other words, they wanted to be surprised that well, it's just the plane style, got shot down. But here's also the thing. Um, hopefully everybody understands by now that these aren't fictional stories. These are like true life events that happened. And this is, oh, almost a 27-year-old. <laughs> event so i get that people like you know suspense built into no, stories this is, this and is everything a almost 37 year old event not 27 oh shit you're right yeah yeah um how the fuck is 1983 37 God, years ago i God. don't know i was born in 84 so that's really depressing <laughs> news for me but um oh yeah i had clients come in today whose birth dates we're 95 and 97. Nice. Oh, my God. And they were married. I'm like, you're not old enough to be married. They are, clearly. Um, so, anyway. Yeah. 
before we ramble on about something else, let's get into part two. But basically, because I have a lot of questions. Oh, there's a one. lot of questions to be had. But basically, yeah, we decided really early on we were going to sort of, sort of give you the whole thing up front because these are these are disasters that happened, hmm? and so they're not surprises. You know, for storytelling purposes, we may quote add suspense in or whatever, but like, don't expect that we're going to like dramatic music and things unfold over time. So sorry if that's what you're looking for, but we ain't got time for that. So just to, I'm going to reiterate the intro from last week. Absolutely. Spoiler alert. On September 1st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 was shot down by a Soviet defense aircraft when it accidentally strayed into restricted Soviet airspace, killing all 269 people on board. That's also a lot of people. That's, yeah. Like, who got shot down down. from the sky in a civilian aircraft. Yeah, that's... Which is the last thing you're expecting on a civilian aircraft. And which has happened a disturbing number of times. It just happened recently. Yes. So. So... Um, so I mentioned last week that this topic was, uh, suggested by at what you leave behind on Instagram. Well, that's Christian. Their name is Christian. I found out. Oh, okay. They reached out and was like, Hey, that's me. Nice. So hi, Christian. I'm pretty sure it's Christian and not Kristen. I think there was an I in there and I hope I'm, maybe it's Christian. I just apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. Christian. Christian. <laughs> Uh, anyway, have I mentioned it's tax season? So I forgot last week to, like, I wrote out the sources and then completely forgot to say them. So let me shout out all the sources, um, for the past couple weeks. So Wikipedia, the great and mighty, um, CNN, the New York Times for the articles that they would let me read until they said I had to subscribe because I couldn't read the You get three free a month. Yeah. So... Um, well, I've run out this month already and it's only the first. So, uh, Taming How, Designing Interfaces Beyond 2001 by Asaf Degani. A Legal Analysis of the Shooting of the Korean Airlines Flight 007 by the Soviet Union by Dr. Farouk Hassan. The Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training. And a magazine of the U.S. Navy called All Hands, an issue from 1984, searching an article called Searching for the Black Box by Fel Barbante. Very nice. That's good, huh? Yes. It's good sources. Yeah, not just all Wikipedia. <laughs> all right, so um, we will be getting into the, the... This is one of those disasters, and I mentioned this that last week has conspiracy theories oh, sure. attached to it. We will get to those. Um, but I'm going to be telling first the generally accepted version of events. Sure. Okay. So if you haven't listened to part one, please do, because that has all the lead up and we're just going to dive right back in. So I'm just going to give a very quick synopsis of uh, part one. Korean Airlines Flight 007 was flying en route to Seoul, South Korea from Anchorage, Alaska, which was its layover. It started in JFK in New York. And it's veering horrifically and obliviously off course uh, into protected Soviet airspace, middle of the Cold War. This is 1983. Uh, And it's now 8.26 a.m. local time. And the orders have been given for Soviet forces to shoot the 747 out of the sky. Major trigger warning, this is 
there's no good crash. This is a horrific mm, crash. Yeah, okay, so. I, yeah. Cruising along at 35,000 feet, KAL Flight 007 was hit by two air-to-air missiles. Wow. It was not shot down by, like, gun rounds. It, these were missiles. Oh, I, well, that's that's what I figured yeah. mm-hmm. at that altitude. Yep. Uh, and I did say shot down, but really it was, yeah, air missiles. So, air-to-air missiles. The impact damaged the elevation cables... And very counterintuitively, this actually resulted in an ascent of the plane because it was making the the, uh, elevation cables or elevation system go on the fritz. And so... So it kept going up. It it started arcing up, right? Um, And it ascended for almost two minutes. That's not good. These type of planes are meant to go that high. Yes, and... um, yeah, this is just bad. So anyway, um, they ended up over 38,000 feet. And obviously, what goes up must come down. So one of the worst things about this disaster is how long it took to happen. Mm. They didn't get shot and then just wonk and down they go, which, though terrifying, would at least have been fast. Um, This entire process took about 12 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So, um, yeah. So the plane did not immediately break up, but it did, the cabin did depressurize immediately, right? So they were being catapulted in a depressurized cabin almost half a mile into the air over two minutes. That was the first part of this whole experience for them. The plane was also pitching during this time, of course, because they were losing control, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or hawing, as another word is for it. But it started to level off after a little bit. Then it started descending. But again, it we're not yet talking about spiraling. Sure. It was just mm. floating down, kind of. The pilots were actually able to maintain at least a little bit of control over the plane. And over the next four minutes or so, it only descended to about 16,000 feet. Okay, so, so they're, six they're minutes hanging in, on. There's yeah. Um and at that point, and this blows my mind, sixteen thousand feet, they actually leveled off and carried on at that altitude for almost five minutes. Okay. I don't know how that's physically possible. That's apparently what happened. And Well, the pilots are also probably former military. I think we well, got they into are. that. Yeah, yeah in we the talked first about episode. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like all pilots were at, yeah. even in this time, nineteen eighty three. So imagine well or don't, because this is horrible. Um but we're talking what, so two minutes up four minutes? Uh, four minutes ish, so seven minutes Descending. plus five now. So we're talking twelve minutes have already lapsed mm-hmm. essentially. But and you know shit's going wrong. Everyone knows shit's going wrong because the oxygen masks came right. down the whole thing. But then it also all of a sudden goes right for five minutes. Like okay, at least we're at sixteen thousand feet. Well, we're and we're steady. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, we got out of it, which I well, fucking I can't, I cannot, I don't want to imagine. Unfortunately, at that point, twelve minutes in, the crew of KAL 007 lost all control over the plane. And that's when the spiraling started. Oh, so Jesus it was just a corkscrew down towards the earth. 
And then about a thousand feet over the ocean near the west coast of Sakhalin Island, just east of mainland Russia, just north of Japan, KAL Flight 007 broke apart. Mm. Just poof. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, 12 minutes after being shot at. And that instantly killed all 269 yeah. people on board. And the even more horrific part is that it was later determined that even though the cap- cabin had depressurized, chances are all of the passengers had had time to put on their oxygen masks and most likely were all conscious this entire yeah. 12 minutes until they were killed by shrapnel from the plane. They were killed by breaking up. I mean... Well, being broken up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's All right, we're going to move on because that's just, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, it, it was horrific. This was not a, there is no good crash, but this is a horrible one. So, um, so because they had, because 007 had been in contact with air traffic control in Japan, their fate was, it's not like they had to be discovered. They ATC knew what was going on, um, and that turned this whole thing into an international incident pretty quickly, right? Oh, yeah. Now, the most involved parties were obviously the USSR, who shot up the plane, South Korea, who owned the plane, and the United States, because that's where it was coming from. And also had a congressman on board. Mm-hmm. As well as many Americans, even though Americans didn't make up the bulk of the but there was a people on board. there was a person in position of American government on That's board, true. which could just automatically make it an international incident. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, so for some reason, even though it was pretty apparent what happened from the word go that this was a a missile, like it, it wasn't just a well, I should say that at the very least they knew this plane crashed. But the South Korean government decided, for some reason, to claim that the plane had been forced to emergency land, but had landed and everyone was okay. So that seems really cruel to me, to just be like, oh, no, everybody's okay. Excuse me? Like, give false hope and they're trying torture to, people? They're trying to avoid an international incident. By... L- by straight so up lying and th- we're talking about 1983 way easier to lie then than it is now true because there's not the social media mm-hmm. and all that and stuff. all that yeah mm-hmm. so they're trying to cover their own ass because they're like uh-oh they don't want to take on russia we're talking about south korea right. mm-hmm. they definitely don't want to take on the united states which they may or may not know is involved they know russia is involved for damn sure mm-hmm. and they're like no. no, they they know that the U.S. is involved because that's where it came from. This was their plane. This was that's uh, that's true too. South Korea's plane. They knew where it was coming from. So, so yeah, their their first play. I'm not saying it's the correct one or even the right one is to deny it. Just pretend it didn't happen. So they just huh? literally what? made shit up. Yep. They literally made shit up. It's awful. Um, Politics 101. But at any rate, on September 1st, so same day, U.S. Secretary of State. Any guess? Who's, who was the Secretary of State in 1983? 1983. Reagan's first SOS? Um, um, uh, maybe. It's I don't definitely, know. Definitely not Henry Kissinger. That's correct. 
Uh, Pat Buchanan. I wouldn't Why have not? known, and I, I so it, it's George Schultz. That's, yeah, never would have guessed it. Anyway, he held a press conference in which he confirmed the plane had been indeed shot down by the Soviets, and he publicly condemned their actions, of course. It's easy to get very righteously indignant gotta, in such a you case. Gotta, you gotta put out your chest. You gotta... How yeah. to, oh, well, let's get to it. Yeah. So, uh, the yeah, let's. I can only imagine what this guy's gonna say. The the incident as a whole was, you know, understandably unilaterally decried by U.S. politicians, including House Speaker Tip O'Neill. Oh, okay. Who called it quote unbelievably barbaric end quote. I want to say that, uh, or did. He was the Speaker of the House, I believe. That's what I said. House okay. Speaker Tip O'Neill. Okay, I was. You just said it, House Speaker. I know it as Speaker of the House. Sorry. You know what I mean? Speaker of the House? Yes. Tip O'Neill. The official title. Okay, sorry. I only Third know that. Third in line for the presidency. I only know that from listening to the Reagan episode of The Dollop, where apparently Tip O'Neill was the one person that was just like, Ronald Reagan is a fucking idiot. Like, he has quotes all over well, the Tip place. Well, Tip O'Neill was a Democrat, so, right. yeah. But still, they weren't, didn't like him. they weren't saying that about Richard Nixon, because he wasn't. But he was very well hated. But they were like, well, Reagan was actually like, early Alzheimer's. He was, yeah. but they were also like, he's just dumb. Like he uh, just like he has no business being president. Wow. Anyway, not that that has ever happened since. No, no, only every time since, except for like two people, basically. Um, so our our boy Ronnie Reagan um, addressed the nation on September fifth, and he called the attack. He referred to the attack as the quote Korean airline massacre end quote and he called it a quote crime against humanity end quote now we're talking he wasn't he wasn't wrong on the second part. well but here's the thing we've talked enough politics to not right now belabor the fact that reagan calling anyone else out on a crime against humanity is <laughs> that's true little rich with irony <laughs> uh well at this point this is 1983 he hasn't signed off on the death squads yet that would only come a couple years later. He has directly provoked the USSR. <laughs> oh, he well, he literally sent death squads to Central America. That's well, that's later. But that, I'm that, I'm saying at this point yeah. anyway. Anyway, um, uh, you're yeah, right. He'll, he'll he's get, not wrong he'll, about he, it. Yeah, but... he'll get there with the war crimes. Right. He's not there quite yet, though. Right. I'm not saying that he's wrong about this being a crime against humanity. I just it's. Ironic, that's all. Okay. This is a crime. I can't do a Reagan voice. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know I was Here's, even trying. He, he always has this this weird little... No, now I'm doing my Sebastian Ajo. You that's are. not it. Sorry. That's okay. definitely not it. Um, Sebastian Ajo for president. You get, you get my vote. <laughs> He's not old enough. <laughs> uh, and he can't either. He's not a native. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, so the USSR... So everyone's like decrying this, right? Well, the USSR... Like, zip of the lip. Oh, the yeah. First. Nothing. <laughs> Mom, until September 6th. <laughs> it's like five solid days later. And here's what they they said. They expressed regret of the loss of civilian life. That That's actually kind of surprising. But also largely blamed the U.S. That's not surprising. They called out the whole thing as a, quote, sophisticated provocation masterminded by the U.S. Special Services with the use of a South Korean plane. End quote. So they were, we'll get into those conspiracy theories. So they were paranoid, which they probably had every right to be. We'll get into that later on, but yeah. And vice versa. Mm. So even though they didn't cop 
to knowing about this and like recognizing this for several days. They literally they knew about they it. They were the first ones who knew about it. It took five days to get all right, what's our story? Exactly. Like everybody break <laughs> it down. If I if I if I tell you something that mm-hmm. is not true, then you're out. You're off the team. Mm-hmm. Not only were they the first to know about it, because they were the ones who fucking ordered it to happen, right? But they started looking for the wreckage like that, Oh, sure. Like, instantaneously. Because they were going to try to cover it up. They're like, what wreckage? Where? That is also amongst the conspiracy theories. This is, yeah. In the meantime, the U.S. certainly knew what happened, but they were scrambling trying to figure out where it had happened in order to launch their own search and rescue which would later turn into a recovery mission sure um this is because international agreements indicated or dictated that south korea had jurisdiction for searching for the plane because they own the plane it was registered in south korea right And then South Korea, in turn, immediately gave search and salvage rights to the U.S. and Japan. I was going to say, they just passed the buck. Yeah. They're like, like, hey, U.S., Japan, go for it. (laughs) And that actually made it illegal by international law for the USSR to even search for the plane. In their own country? No. Oh, it does does not go down in the USSR? I thought it did. Well, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of weird stuff here. So um, there's even like uh, theories that... Anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. Hang tight. Right. uh, Conspiracy theories. Exactly. I literally wrote here, obviously this is part of the story that's ripe for conspiracy theories because if the Soviets were the first to the scene, no one can actually really, really be sure what exactly happened in those first few hours. But we'll, we'll get back to what has been told or accepted on this. Sure. So the first U.S. searchers to arrive were Air Force planes who searched by air. And then four days after the crash, the U.S. Navy frigate, one of my favorite words. Yes, it is a good frigate, word. They use that word in Star Wars a couple of times. <laughs> the USS Badger, commanded by Rear Admiral William Cockle, and the destroyer, the USS Elliot, arrived to search by water as part of Task Force 71. And here's a photo of a boat. Of a boat. This <laughs> just, is just a boat. It's just a boat. It's a rowboat. No. Looks, this is looks one like of a the, battleship. This is one of the destroyers that... Yeah. I don't know which one, but it's one... Or it could be the frigate. I don't know what oh, the difference okay. between a destroyer and a frigate is. But. If it was a destroyer, it would have guns on the, um, on the stern. Maybe this is a frigate. It probably is. Maybe this is the... Because you can see all the uh, radar equipment. So yeah, there's a lot of radar shit. So they're probably trying to signal back, like, this is what we found. This okay. is what we didn't find. We'll go with that. Sure. We'll go with that. So they initially conducted a surface search along with the air search, because initially they were trying to see if they could rescue anybody. Like, did sure. anybody make it? Can we... Because they didn't know exactly what exactly. happened at that point. So Sadly. for all they knew, there were people out there with life vests. So that, that's what they were looking for. By September 10th, the mission was officially transitioned to search and recovery. recovery. They knew that there was no survivors. So <laughs> while the Navy was searching, Soviet military was nearby and very carefully monitoring the goings on of the search. Uh, the area being searched was in international waters, but also incredibly close to Soviet waters, <laughs> territorial waters near the coast of Sakhalin. And the U.S. repeatedly requested permission from the Soviets to search the Soviet waters. Like, hey, we think it may have gone down here. 
may we please, mummy, may we please. That kind of surprises me. They requested multiple times. What do you think the well, USSR I, said? Well, I would think they're like, uh, no. But I would think yeah, they would. Exactly I would think. think they would ask for forgiveness over mm. over permission. Here's the problem: if they broach, first of all, these that's guys true. were right. the The Soviets were right there waiting yeah, for them true. to cross those borders. Right. We're also talking about 1983, which was since the missile crisis of 1962. This got compared to the missile crisis multiple times. But around this time is uh-huh. when the Cold War goes. To its probably apex, yes, I would say. Uh-huh. I think yeah. things in the next couple of years started to calm down a little bit. We're gonna talk about. Oh, that a okay, bit. all right. Yes, My and bad. how this may have played a part in that. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, they is, this is before Rocky Five. <laughs> Rocky <laughs> Five. Rocky Five. Rocky Five is what brought peace to the world. Oh, okay. Remember well, that's that. Good to know. Yes. Thanks, Slice alone. Absolutely. From your early days in sophomore porn. To... You're welcome. <laughs> no, it's. Yo, Adrian. <laughs> Yo. Yo, USSR. <laughs> I know you have to talk a little more like this, a little more intelligibly. No, that's not how he sounds, but anyway. <laughs> he won a fucking Oscar for Rocky, didn't he? Uh, he did for Writing screenplay. Or yes, yeah. I think. Or no, best picture. Was it Both. best picture? It was, yeah. Wow. It was. Who knew? I actually did watch it again for the first time in who knows how yeah. long, about a month ago. Uh-huh. Because it's on net. All the all the Rockies. All the Rockies. All the Rockies <laughs> are on Netflix right now. Okay, good So if you want to check out Rocky Four, we're talking about 1985. <laughs> we're talking about Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Who's the greatest actor of all time? Dolph Lundgren. That's easy. Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> That's from all, it's always sunny, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, I've only seen the first two. And that's the two is the Smeals mainly. <laughs> uh, Rocky one and two are base. both really good. They yeah, are. I don't love Rocky three is when it gets more into okay, we're trying to make money. Rocky four is when it, we're definitely trying to make money, but it's still a good story. <laughs> uh huh. But what about like Creed? That was good. Yeah? The, the, the first one was. It. I didn't see the second one. Okay. Uh, Rocky five was terrible. <laughs> uh, Rocky Balboa, I never saw. Okay. So. I think I did see Rocky Balboa. Yeah, I never saw at some that. Point. Okay, this is not entertainment. Sorry. We cannot be talking about this. Yo. How goddamn dare we? Yo, get back on the script, Adrian. <laughs> okay. I know people are going to be laughing at me, not with me. That's okay. So, basically, the reason they didn't ask for forgiveness instead of permission is they could have literally... Started a world war. Ended up in nuking everybody, right? And we would not be here telling this story. So so the USSR was like, no, you can't search our waters. So during the search and recovery mission, the Soviets conducted many maneuvers nearby, which one Navy captain said, quote, I'm not sure you could call it harassment, end quote. Like, meaning basically it was technically allowable. Yeah, they're walking that line. But because they were not directly impeding on their search but there were reports of direct soviet harassment as well they would say we were making our presence known well there were reports of like that direct threats and near collisions and taking uh, confiscating weapons like th- some shit did go down so yeah, a good old-fashioned good old-fashioned cold war yeah lots of fun <laughs> so when it was clear that nothing was going to be found at the surface i mean they weren't even really finding debris necessarily at the surface and that they were going to need to dive 
to look for the wreckage. Specialists from the Unmanned Vehicles Detachment of the Navy's Submarine Developed Group 1 out of San Diego. And this, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Was deployed to the site where they busted out the big guns, the Deep Drone. This thing's pretty cool. This is the Deep Drone. Damn, they made this thing. This is 1983. It's 1983's finest. So um, let me talk a little bit about this. Uh, Titanic hasn't even been discovered yet. Oh, when did they discover it? I believe it was 1987. Okay. When they found, finally found it at the bottom of the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. So, but I believe they found it with one of these things. Well, let's talk about the deep drone. So it's an unmanned ROV, remotely operated vehicle. And it was really cutting edge for the time. It looks, uh, I mean, it looks modern. It kind of does. We're talking about something that existed 37 years ago. Well, they developed it during the 70s and really busted it out for the first time in like 80, 81. So this is new technology at this point, basically. Um, It was used for salvage missions. That's the whole point, right? Absolutely. Um, So its sole purpose was exactly this type of thing. Salvage missions in deep ocean. You can see it has cameras all over it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the front. Uh, there's like two or three cameras on each side, so it's some badass technology. It is, yeah, absolutely, especially for back then. Now, different vessels were catching weak signals from the possible flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. Right, they're looking for the black boxes, sure, um, and the black boxes also should be near the wreckage. Is the idea right? So they were looking for both. Um, then the deep drone would go after these areas where they were picking up these signals to try and like home in and see if that's where they actually were. Um, but eventually several weeks had passed. So this search was kind of wearing on and new tactics with sonar had to be kind of employed because at that point, the battery life of the batteries in the FDR and the CVR, um, they were only meant to last 30 days. So this is like going on a month So the search was wearing on with no major discoveries at the potential crash site, but some very gruesome discoveries were washing up along the north shore Mm. of Hokkaido, Japan, starting as early as eight days after the crash. Sure. So So debris is washing up on Japan's shore. Yes, because this is just north of Japan. So Uh, there people were discovering items like... A couple human torsos, yeah. um, human skull parts, sure. plane bits, and personal effects. So some of the notable discoveries included a please fasten seatbelt sign, <laughs> uh, KAL branded paper cups, and business cards of the individuals on board. Which, wow. Yeah, that would be pretty awful. And these items, along with items discovered by the Soviets and turned in to the U.S. Japanese delegation, included 213 shoes of all shapes wow. and sizes, including children's shoes mm. belonging to some of the 22 children under the age of 12 aboard um, Flight 007. Uh, this led to a particularly impactful image published in Life magazine in which some of the loved ones of the victims in seeing this picture on Life magazine recognized some of the shoes. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah, I'm going to put that one face down. Okay. So by November 5th, so we're talking two months after the fact, the area of water that had, of international water, that held the highest probability of being where the crash site was, had been like searched with a fine tooth comb. 
and it was still possible that Soviet waters held the remains of 007, but there was no way to search those waters. So, And so the search and recovery mission for 007 ended, and the plane, the the cockpit voice reporter, recorder and the flight data recorder, none of them found it no, was a it was a bust seen. mission all the two months these this massive um deep drone the whole thing it's not for lack of trying they just weren't in the right place they couldn't be in the right place and is what the inference was so oh, oh, believe me they were really trying because mm-hmm. we've always had for the most part maniacs that run our government and most of those people would have been fine like having world war three Oh, yeah, well... I mean, like, if we find this black box... Well, plus the whole idea is we need to get to this first so the Russians don't have a chance mm-hmm. to cover it up. Right? Yeah. No, they're on their game, too. <sighs> so the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, was the first called into action to actually investigate the crash because the flight had U.S. origins and there were U.S. nationals who died on board, so that made it the NTSB's legal obligation within the United sure. States to investigate. However, almost immediately, the NTSB was ordered by the State Department to immediately hand over everything they had on the investigation because they were going to close down the NTSB investigation on the grounds that the crash of 007 was not an accident, which is what the NTSB is supposed to be investigating. Which is true. Well, an accidental shoot down. Anyway, let's keep going. Um. So the State Department passed the investigation on to the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO. And this transfer in the investigation was not without its controversy. The Reagan administration was criticized for taking it out of the NTSB's hands to make sure that military personnel and or members of his administration could not be compelled to testify because the NTSB had the right to subpoena people, but the ICAO did not. Sure. So the ICAO could only rely on the cooperation on what, of whatever governments. they were told. Yeah. And they knew whatever they were told yeah. was most likely bullshit. So they, so they didn't but they have had no, But power. they had no other way to prove otherwise. Yeah. So further, the ICAO had only ever investigated one other disaster, another shoot down a decade earlier, Libyan Arab Airlines Flight 114, which had crashed in Egypt. So... Hmm. The ICAO had just a hell of a time trying to get any information from anybody because their investigation really hinged on voluntary disclosure from the United States and the Soviet Union and Japan in the middle of the Cold War. And they're honestly... (laughs) Good fucking luck. They're honestly probably not even trying. Like, the supervisor who has to check in every day is like, well, we tried to call him and they won't answer. <laughs> and he's just like, they're all sitting there, like, playing ping pong. Maybe, and who like, knows, it, yeah. He's like, it doesn't matter what I tell yeah. him. I mean, these are not easy nuts to crack. No. So. Well, could you imagine negotiating for international airspace, what that would take? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, territorial With the Soviet Union? Rights, yeah. You know, all this kind of shit. There, yeah. There's a lot of... Uh, and they had no wreckage. No, no nothing. black boxes, nothing. They had so little nothing. to go on. Yeah. So little to go on. If you don't have on. the black box in a plane mm-hmm. crash, you basically got nothing. Well, so they had... For the most part. They had, like, air traffic control communications and stuff. So, basically, they just trudged along as best as they could with extremely limited information. Yeah. They, they don't have the onboard computer, though, which is what they... Right, the, right. They, that's the So, main they thing. eventually came to the conclusion they reported December 2nd, 1983... Uh, you know, it released their report, and they're like, look, 
we think this was a horrible accident that the for some reason the flight crew went off route without knowing it they impeded on Soviet airspace and the Soviets thought they were some sort of non-civilian spy aircraft and and shot them down and that was and the reason that was what but they left out the part and the reason they thought that is because we'd fucked with that area of uh of airspace right for the last couple of years, so we made them paranoid, and a, little bit. a civilian aircraft had to pay the price for that. Now, in the report, the Soviet government was directly quoted, and this is going to be important. They claimed that they hadn't found any victims' remains or either black box. Okay? They claimed. Mm-hmm. So basically, after 1983, there wasn't really much to do. This was essentially a cold case. Like, if we're equating it to, like, Yeah, because they didn't find the essential pieces, and they probably just assumed, like, the Russians have it, but they're not going to give it up. there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do. They're not going to give it up. And the Cold War wore on (laughs) with increasing tension and acrimony, but in retrospect, many have actually called the downing of Flight 007 the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. Interesting. Combined with a lot of other political difficulties, obviously, but... It led to the decline of the Soviet, or it it was at a point. It was a catalyst. Yeah, there we go. That's a good. That's a good uh, term. Now, so basically, the governments were like, "Sorry, we're we don't know. There's nothing else for us to do. That we did our best. We're done." Um, Now, loved ones of the victims of 007 weren't gonna take. That no. lying down. There's, we're talking the family and friends and everybody of 269 people. That's a lot. And they got shot down. That got shot like, down it'd, it'd by be, Soviet missiles. It'd be one thing if it was pilot error and they ran to a mountain. Like right, it, right. That's, that's one thing. Yeah. This was something deliberate. <laughs> yes. And, and, and a deliberate accident? Yeah. If we can put it that way? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, yeah, of course they want answers. So several of them joined together to form the advocacy group, the American Association for Families of KAL 007 Victims, to put pressure on governments the world over to find more information about what really happened to their loved ones. And the leader who emerged in this group was a man named Hans Ephraimson Apt of New Jersey. He was a single dad to two girls, and his daughter Alice Ephraimson Apt was 23 years old, aboard 007. She died, obviously. She was traveling to China to continue her post-grad work in East Asian affairs. 23, Mm. grad work, like, probably super excited to be traveling internationally. And this happens to her. So he was key in a lot of what ended up happening. So he doggedly pursued multiple politicians he he was his well I not just him but this this advocacy group they were like a um, a lobby machine sure they were like we are going because individuals can lobby Congress yes you can do that absolutely so they they were just fucking on it and that I find that really like awesome um, but they even managed to convince several U S senators to write to Mikhail Gorbachev. To be like, please, pretty please, give us information. So can you imagine what it would take to convince a Cold War era U.S. senator? Like, I need you to write a letter to Mikhail Gorbachev saying, pretty, pretty please, with a cherry on top. Give us this information so we can give these families some closure. 
and they did. That's pretty fucking influential, if sure. you ask me. That's not that he did give any information. He didn't. But, but they, they at least the made the effort, effort to try. Yes, absolutely. So here's a picture of the um, some of the family members, and that's um, Hans in the middle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this this whole thing is just I terrifying. Know, I know. We'll get to the absurd later in the conspiracy theories. There's, that'll, there's a fun that'll make twist. it fun. Yeah, yes. there's a fun twist later. I have my own conspiracy theories already. Okay, all right. So something special to note about Hans, um, uh, Alice's dad, is that he was born in Berlin in t- 1922. He lived through World War II. Uh, yeah, yes, he um, did. In Had refugee have... camps. Like he, various refugee camps, not concentration camps, okay. refugee camps. I do get the impression he was Jewish based on what I read. Yeah. Um, And that he got uh, separated from his parents during the war. Sure. And eventually uh, reunited with them in the U.S. in 1950, five years after the war. Wow. Yeah, because they had escaped the Nazis. So, like, this guy was, like, I'm sorry, I escaped the Nazis. He's like, he's like I've been through worse. Like, I'm not going to be intimidated yeah. by anybody. So, I thought Especially that was... a fucking U.S. senator or congressman. Right. Whatever. I thought he was pretty... Yeah. That's pretty badass. So, in spite of Hans and the rest of the group's really persistent efforts, there was still very little information to be had regarding the crash of 007 until history played in their favor and the Soviet Union fell. Yes, it did. So as more and more information about the USSR's goings-on during this mysterious heyday continued to be declassified and revealed, the family advocates finally caught a break. So in December of 1991, Senator Jesse Helms, who, as you may recall... Almost, almost died could, on that yes, fucking flight. Almost was on if that flight. If he had made it, he would have. He was on that twin flight, sort mm-hmm. of, that was right behind them. Um, he himself wrote direct, directly to the new Russian president, Boris Yeltsin, requesting information about 007, including asking about his own friend, Larry McDonald, congressman who had died in that crash. He's like, hey... Can you help a brother out? Well, at this point, they're like, and it's it's come out now. It's no secret anymore. The United States essentially put Boris Yeltsin into power. So they're so he's like, okay, he's like, hey, we did this for you. Can please. I get can I get some information? I'm sure he didn't even say please. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So on September 11th, 1992, little did we know what September 11th would be nine years later, but 1992, Yeltsin came out with the shocking or perhaps not to anybody, it depends, revelation that the former Soviet government had found the wreckage and both black boxes (laughs) within two weeks of the crash. Wow. Yeah. Has that been confirmed? They said it. Okay. Yeah, the the, the USSR, or sorry, Russia literally said yeah. Um, And they're like, yeah, it's all here in the KGB files. Mm. Yep. Shocking. So they had been kept classified because the evidence did not back up the assertion that 007 was some sort of super secret spy mission. So they're like, ooh, this isn't exactly playing into our hand. Let's just classify this shit for the KGB. The crash site had probably unsurprisingly been basically immediately apparent to the Soviets. They shot the plane down. down. They knew where it went from there. Um, But no wreckage. 
Again, this is the Soviets' account, no wreckage came to the surface. And for that reason, they thought that people were actually trapped inside the fuselage. Okay. Even though it broke apart. I don't know. Maybe they didn't witness that. Uh, mm. Um, So they didn't send rescue crews, which is also slightly disturbing because you would think, well, I mean, who knows? Anyway, so they finally sent divers to look at the site on September 15th, 1983. So two weeks. Two weeks weeks later. Mm -hmm. The remains of the plane and its contents were found. So within two weeks of the crash, they found the site. Um, and it was found 571 feet or 174 meters off of Monoron Island, which is off the southwest coast of Sakhalin, just a little north of Japan. And I say remains because not much was found intact. They said they found some like steel beams that sure. were a couple meters long, but otherwise everything was pretty much pulverized. Um they did, uh, or the, in the words of one writer, everything was mostly, quote, broken into tiny pieces. Yeah. So they did find some human remains, including part of a torso, but no full human bodies um, and nothing really identifiable. They did find some personal effects like clothing and accessories. So what's interesting is that while that whole two month long search is dragging out, they've already found it's what yeah, it's find. already the search is it's actually like, already done. done. It's over. Um and then it wasn't revealed for another nine years after that. Mm. So yeah. So Yeltsin invited a delegation from the US, including Hans Ephraimson Apt and other family members from the 007 advocacy group to come to Moscow, where they were given a portion of the files, which included partial transcripts of the cockpit voice recorder and that's when everybody realized how long the crash had taken and that their loved ones had not indeed immediately died but rather suffered tremendously experienced a very frightening and long demise in hans Ephraimson app's words he said quote we face the agonizing recognition that their death was neither painless nor instant and then he also said quote that was emotionally a rather hard thing to take. Sure. End quote. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's just awful. It's horrible. Like, <clears throat> at least you could find some delusional comfort <laughs> before it was confirmed what happened, you know? Here's what it's making me think of, uh, because I've started watching this again recently, is uh, Band of Brothers. Okay. Which is an excellent mm-hmm. uh, HBO miniseries. If mm-hmm. you have not seen it, at this point, it's almost 20 years old. Wow. But it's still very poignant. But it came out in like the Saving Private Ryan era. It actually yeah. came out like a couple of days after 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Um, but the second episode begins with the airborne crews uh, flying into Germany to, or I, actually into France, Okay. to parachute <clears throat> down to the ground and take over things. And so is this you, for Normandy or? or no, yes. This, oh, actually, okay. yes. This the is D-Day. D-Day? Okay. Yep. And... You know, a couple of planes get shot down because yeah. that's what's just yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And But th- those are military planes, and those are people that are trained to confront whatever is coming. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're talking about a civilian aircraft. Ooh, These yeah. people have no training, no... And they're literally just... This is a routine flight. Yep. And the tragedy... So it's, it's essentially a business flight. Yeah, yeah. And the tragedy is that... This was not a mechanical failure nope. that nobody could have done. It was intentional. It was, it was 
potentially accidental, accidentally intentional. Yep. Accidental. Accidental. Yeah. Hashtag accidental. <laughs> we have so many new hashtags now. So later in 1992, uh, Yeltsin directly released all data on the black boxes um, to the South Korean government as a goodwill gesture and to the ICAO Secretary General. And the information on them seemed to support their, the ICAO's prior conclusion about the navigation errors. However, the ICAO did note in a revised report that both of the black boxes, so there's the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder, they both stopped. It came to a dead halt exactly 104 seconds after the missiles. Mm -hmm. And they're like, so that's a little odd because the cables that run to the FDR and the CVR come from different areas of the plane. Sure. So the idea of one of them being cut makes sense but the fact that they're both cut at the exact, exact same, same moment time. is a little suspicious or not suspicious unusual they said so anyway um but to me i explained that that's the plane breaking up yeah or or like well no no because no, that happened 12 minutes in this is 104 seconds oh 104 so, yeah. okay but if i mean they're next to each other and even though their power supply comes from two different places they're next to each other so it's possible it could have gotten like jarred at the same time plus the damn thing just got hit by two different missiles yeah yeah which is something that a civilian plane is just not made for of course not so yeah. there's that too are you ready to get into the alternate theories Sure. Okay. I've got a bunch going okay. through my head. So. so, like I said, a lot like the Dyatlov Pass incident, there's a lot of conspiracies which, which, as to which, what really happened. And, of course, the Dyatlov Pass also involved the USSR. Well, that's why. Yeah. This is such a mysterious time of misinformation and classified information and who knows what happened in, in the Soviet Union. So... And it and it makes sense, like why there are all these alternate theories. Now, my own personal conclusion, unqualified opinion, is that this was a series of errors and poor judgment. Mm -hmm. Basically, the '80s era technology wasn't brilliant, so 007 ended up off course when it just the the technology wasn't there and the checks and balances weren't there to bring them back on course. Uh, they were flying in a remote part of the U.S. They're flying out of Alaska. Like, they're basically in the tundra, right? And the flight crew didn't know they were going off course. They were never corrected because no one really and how, knew. And how would you? Exactly. Yeah, you know, you're like, oh, the, the clouds look different over here. Right? We must be off course. Right? Like, nobody's ever said, I'm the first person to say that ever. Right? Um... And then they did, wandered into restricted Soviet airspace. And while the Soviets should have taken the time to figure out, hey, is this a real threat of a aircraft or is this civilians accidentally wandering into our airspace? The U.S. had recently provoked I was just going to say, they had them. just recently gotten fucked with. Yes. And they just weren't going to take the chance. No, they were like, fuck this. No, this could be the exact same thing. Plus that RC-135 or whatever, that fighter, that U.S. recon mm -hmm. plane had just been in the air. It's so like, yeah. they were just on high alert and paranoia and basically got trigger happy. Like, shoot first, ask questions later. I think that's kind of what happened. They acted rashly. They shouldn't have, but it's also semi-understandable, and it's also our fucking fault for, like, doing shit to them, too. Well, I mean, it's both of our faults. Yes. A lot of things led up to this moment. Mm -hmm. 
yes, it's a highly political moment. And it's just, of course, they did at least partially try to cover it up and blame the U.S. and all sorts of shit. And the crew. My whole thing is, it's Russia. It's USSR. Has anybody looked at what it looks like and how fucking cold it is there? Like, my, my whole theory is, like, if you want that part of the Earth, you can have it. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, we're not going to go like, there. I'm not interested in Siberia. I'm never going to move there. Well, neither was this plane. It was an accident. Yeah, but, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. Like, like yeah. stop the stop the prick-waving contest. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. You know, it's which just, is what the, ultimately is. this is. It is, yeah. Like, you can keep that part of Earth. We're not interested. Sorry, we've got no. Florida. <laughs> it's sunny and it's fun. Like, people do weird shit. So the alternate theories include some details that, honestly, who knows, maybe they could be true, though it wouldn't change the basic nature of exactly what happened. So, for example, some people have suggested that maybe the co-pilot, the first officer, Sun Donghui, actually noticed they were veering off course, but didn't feel comfortable telling the pilot because... KAL supposedly had a culture of like don't question authority and we've talked about that either in a, another episode or with each other that there's a mm. culture of um like tier of command uh, chain of commands it's like you of. respect your elders and you don't question them yeah yeah so so there's yeah I don't remember the context of that yeah. either but I mean it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that that Maybe. No, it's but, not. But it's also sheer speculation. Yeah. So who well, knows? Well, that's all we have to go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ICAO had pointed out that the CVR recorder um, indicated from the tapes that, like, the the flight crew was just having normal conversations literally up to the second the missiles hit. So there was nothing to indicate that they had any clue that they were veering off course. None whatsoever. So it it sure seems completely accidental. And how would there be if the pilots don't well, know? Well, right, yeah. Then the mm-hmm. then the staff doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the most popular alternate theory, conspiracy theory, seems to surround the idea that KL Flight 007 was no regular civilian flight, but rather a <laughs> okay, spy here mission. Yeah, here we go. By the U.S. military, with or without perhaps the knowledge of the flight crew. And again, though, with the knowledge of the flight crew... Seems That's why the congressman not... <laughs> was on board. He was checking things right. out. It seems unlikely but uh, that the pilots would have been in on it, even if there was a spy... Anyway. Um, yeah, why would they be? Like, South Korea is like, we want nothing to do with this. Well, there are even... Um, there are even conspiracy theories that the flight crew went rogue and they were on their own mission like fuck off whatever stop so but but the idea that 007 was some sort of super covert spy mission is a very attractive one to anyone who doesn't trust the government and right now that's everyone that's literally everyone Uh in the world um now there's also been speculation that the u.s air force sent 007 directly and intentionally to distract and act as a target a distraction to the soviets in order to cover up their real surveillance mission using u.s air force aircraft i mean i don't buy that either I, I, yeah. yeah because the pilot the the pilot of the civilian aircraft would have been like no that's not our route i i think i think it, it's just what it is it's an accident i think so too i think so too yeah um now then there are theories and this gets a little morbid, but also really bad shit. Um, about why there weren't 
full bodies found in the wreckage. I mean, the plane broke apart. That's why. But, yeah. Um, yeah. At any rate, while it was spinning at a well, no. Oh here's God. where the theories really go off the rails. Yeah. So one theory is that the plane didn't break apart at all. Sure. It was able to successfully execute an emergency landing, saving all on board. But then the Soviets came along and put them all in prison camps. They all survived, but they 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 were POWs for the rest of their oh lives. Oh my God! Yeah, that, I, and just... no one ever found or heard of them again, or, or found any evidence for it. Yeah, that my favorite. Getting back to 9-11, which we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But when I listened to the... Um, Last podcast? Yes. I, I had not thought about 9-11. Nothing. Didn't do any research on it. Nothing for literally like until like a couple days after it was over. Mm-hmm. Didn't even really think about it again for another 16 years. Okay. Like literally. Mm-hmm. But then I then I started to notice all the conspiracy stuff. Like, oh, there wasn't a plane that hit the... Oh, yeah. And it's just like... Like, how dumb can you be? How dumb can you think other people will be to think that they will buy that? You know, I, I do think that we need to question things and not not take everything at face value. But then once it seems pretty clear, like, give it up. Where you're going off, <laughs> off the map? Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. stop. You ready to go further off the map? Sure, yeah, so, let's do it. So, uh, one... Jesus. Uh, so... A possibly slightly more plausible conspiracy theory is that one of the reasons bodies weren't found is because the Soviets found the wreckage first, and then they found the remains and and got rid of them to cover it up. Which maybe, but I don't... somewhat plausible. Maybe slightly more. I I don't know. Now, farther along the batshit stupid scale, it, it includes the theory that because of the rapid decompression of the cabin, people were literally... Get this, sucked out of their clothing and flew naked outside, like out of the fuselage. Maybe. I, I doubt it, but who Why? the hell knows? I mean, <laughs> yeah, who can't? Like, that's the stupidest thing. Anyway. Nobody's tested anyway. that as far as physics goes. I, yeah. I, so. Now, are you ready for the Michael Peterson twist? Oh, here. Yeah, you remember do it. who Michael Peterson is? I do. Okay. He's the, he's the guy in Durham. Yes. Yeah. So, one of the. Theories in the Michael Peterson case is uh, or put forth as to oh no it wasn't him who killed his wife but why were there scratches on, on it was an, it was an owl it was an owl yeah that that pushed her down the <laughs> stairs basically um, so here's here's a a great theory here, here's as to the, here's what, the what happened theory. to the bodies yeah they were eaten by giant Japanese spider crabs. <laughs> Is that a real thing? That is a real creature. Oh my god. One. That's like a fucking nightmare. Well, it is. It is. Those things exist, and they do exist off the coast of Japan. Okay. So, um. I'm never going to Japan. These fucking crabs are scary as shit. So they are. It looks like something out of fucking Alien. Their claw span can be up to 18 feet. Yeah, that's just. Their wingspan. Yeah, that's. Which is five and a half meters. So. That's scary. It's possible they ate remains. I mean. Kind of who who knows? I don't know. Let's not too... But this is what I wrote. Let's not try too hard to make this already morbid story even worse. By thinking that they were eaten by giant crabs. That is like one of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen. Oh, and, and look up what's, more pictures. There's I don't. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm really not going to. I didn't want to know that something like that actually existed. Its body is actually pretty small. It's its It's legs. really not. No, no, no. This is its body. I understand. But it's, it's still like the size 16 of... It's like inches. It's still the size of somebody's head. 
Well, yes, it's still large, but... But it's creepy legs. And, and very long It's legs. creepy as fuck. So you can look up the Japanese spider crabs if you want to get freaked out about what's Don't in the ocean. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, okay, so we're done with the... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this over yeah, that's okay. as well. The creepy <laughs> spider thing, whatever the fuck that thing was. Japanese spider spider crab. crab. Mm-hmm. So, let's get back to <laughs> reality. So Hans Ephraimson Apt and the other loved ones of the 007 victims continued their lobbying efforts, and they fi- it finally paid off. So in 1996, Congress passed the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act. So that law put an onus on the NTSB to provide family support services, including counseling and mental health. What are you looking for? I'm just, there we go. I know, you're distracting uh, uh, me. I'm sorry. And are you, were you listening to anything? I was. Said? Okay. Yeah. To provide. I, I, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I know, time. but it's really distracting when you're looking through stuff. Anyway, to provide family support services, including mental health and counseling services, to people whose family members have died in an avia- an aviation accident with significant passenger fatalities and or injuries. In this the is pretty significant. Yes, two hundred sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Um. And another victory for their lobbying efforts came in nineteen ninety-seven. So prior to ninety-seven, the in the U.S. a law set a limit. Um that the most compensation victims could receive for like either themselves being injured in an air crash or a loved one dying in an air crash was capped at $75,000 per passenger in damages, unless they could prove like um, misconduct on the part of the airlines. Well, in 1997, it changed and that limit was raised to 139,000 and they also reduced the burden of proof for misconduct. So basically sure. it was easier to get go after It was easier money. to sue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Hans Ephraimson Apt, the leader of this persistent band of family members, died on October 18th, 2013 at the age of 91. Mm. Having seen a lot of shit in his life yeah. and gotten a lot of shit done. Yeah. He was a good man. So the disaster of flight 007 did in additional in addition to possibly weakening the USSR also possibly helped de-escalate the entire Cold War. Just before the incident, NATO had approved after pressure from the Reagan administration to deploy cruise missiles very close to Moscow, which I'm sure would not have been well received by the Soviets and possibly triggered a further incident. It's not well received now. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, ever. Well, no, yeah. I mean, we're putting NATO bases all around. Well, they were talking. What, yeah. what is modern day Russia? Yep. But I'm saying this is at the height of the Cold they, War. They if they have, had done, it they could have, have gone horribly awry. And let's face it, that is not a country we want to fuck it's with. It's a terrible idea. It was a terrible it's, idea. It's a bad idea. But anyway, after the crash, support for doing this, like, tanked. And so it was never done. So th- it could have, I mean, it could that's, have that's protected. A, that's about as good of a silver lining as yeah, you can come up with. But yeah. let's face it, Yeah. I think we all would have, yeah. So as mm. a direct result of 007, development of the then-fledgling Navstar Global Positioning System, ah, a navigation system, yep, use, utilizing satellites that is owned and currently operated by, I can't fucking believe I'm saying this, the U.S. Space Force. 
Hashtag thanks, fuckface. There's a little... We have a U.S. Space Force now. We do now. It is such bullshit that we now have a Star Trek. Fuck you, fuckface. The symbol looks almost the exact same, It's a fucking (laughs) ripoff. It does. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, it's currently operated by the Space Force, whatever. But anyway, it was kicked into full gear, this development. And on September 16th, 1983, Reagan announced that once GPS was up and running... It would be available not only in military applications, but for civilian use. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we kind of have 007 to thank for giving us GPS. I I think I mentioned this on the uh, last episode, but do you know what the military application was for GPS? What? Guiding missiles. That makes sense. (laughs) And ironically, the missiles that downed 007, like, maybe helped... Give us they were maps. they were old fashioned surface to air missiles is what mm-mm, it sounded like to mm-mm. me no air to air missiles it oh that's right another, it came from a plane that's came right from another plane yeah. that's right from two yeah. planes one plane no one plane two, hits. two missiles from one plane okay mm-hmm. I believe yes great and that my friends was that's the story of Korean Airlines fucking... flight 007. the rest of the story uh, yeah no okay. with uh. Paul Harvey? Yes. <laughs> now for to... the rest of the story. When I was a little know. kid, I thought mm-hmm. Paul Harvey was like down the street. Because <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand yeah. what a syndicated broadcast right, is when you're right. five. He's just your local yeah, news like, guy. Oh, it's a local... And yeah. uh, we had a traffic copter, which we didn't have. <laughs> because it was like a joke. It was like, oh, the traffic oh. copter. There's three people waiting for a red light. Which... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but when you're five or six, you don't know any better. Now, something um, we we have not commented on. I don't know if we want to go into it or not. But um, we decided to do the KAL disaster and release the episode one, the first episode one day after, because obviously we didn't know this was going to happen. A pretty significant air disaster in the U.S., not by numbers, but rather by notable people on board. Um, Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. For anyone who might be international, I mean, the NBA is pretty worldwide, but... Um, very much so. Yeah, so he's a very famous basketball player, especially of his generation. Um, and I, like, something I tweeted is, you know, like, the thing about... Because uh, the thing is, a celebrity's death is no more or less tragic than any other person's death. It is we not. know that. Yeah. But what I do think, what I do think it does do... Stop with the tidying. <laughs> what I do think it does do, do think it does do, yes, is um, yes, you do. is it just kind of jars everybody a bit and reminds everybody that this could literally happen to anybody, anybody. anytime. Yeah. And so that's, that's another reason that, like, at least I feel that we don't just give, like, some, some very serious, non-entertaining... Um, like sad version of all this stuff is like we know deep down this could happen to any of us right like that's it's a thing and it's scary and it is when it's scary like to be all dark and depressed about it is just dark and depressing it's well accepted that we laugh a little bit in the face we laugh at death because death will have the last laugh on us right that's sort of the the Lou Grant version of it, but so I did go to see uh, 1917 today. Mm-hmm. A 
with my dad. Yes, a fantastic movie, an excellent movie, and certainly a movie you need to see on the big screen. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't do ju- the right amount of justice on uh, even if you have a 75-inch TV. Mm. Mm-hmm. Trust me, go see it in the theater. But uh, one of the... Uh, one of the themes in the movie, which I caught on to about halfway through, is because we're talking about uh, this is talking about a British pat- patrol, a battalion during World War One. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, two guys from it, mm-hmm. but um, things happen and they just move along, and it's they're British, and that's the the Keep saying. Calm and carry and on. Carry on. That was Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. I believe. Well. I think it was. I'm going to the UK. I better get that right. Yes. <laughs> Even though this was World War One, he is not mm-hmm. prime minister mm-hmm. then. But anyway, British stoicism is a well-established <laughs> and I characteristic. Think it, it kind of comes from they literally went through two world wars fair enough. in the span of two decades. Went through a lot of shit. So, and that comes out in the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go see it. It's fantastic. Okay. It is <laughs> seeing Joker this year too. I almost mm-hmm. think that. 1917 was better than Joker. Mm, very good. Yeah. Very good. Was it about white male rage? It was. White male rage. Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, if you, if you don't like that we laugh at shit, well, you know what? Fuck off, because we're not going to be depressing. <laughs> it's just, this shit is so fucking depressing. If we didn't laugh at it, like, we'd cry. Well, we're not laughing like, at come it. Come on. We're, we're, no, 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 no. We're that's, finding... you're correct. We're yes. not laughing at the tragedy. No. You're correct. I said that wrong. If we didn't laugh to break up the tension, yeah. it would just be miserable. And then we wouldn't do this, because we're fucking doing this for free, people. Fuck off if you're ungrateful for and we've that. And we've done it almost 140 times. Yes. Yes. So. so, oh, Demetrius. Demetrius wants to come in. Should we? It's okay if the sound is a little off. Oh, Demetrius made a cameo. Demetrius, come here. Oh, now you're going to be silent because mm-hmm. you're in. Oh, he wants to hide under the cover. Yes, he does. This is turning into such good. This is like Demetrius podcast talk. gold. <laughs> Little baby. He's like, I, I couldn't be separated from... Cause uh, Jesse Pinkman has been in here the whole time, yes, but he has he not has. made a sound. Oh, nope. d- don't! I need that. Top you do part. need the top part. Yes, yeah. I know you were shuffling through the pages while I was talking. Yep. <laughs> All right, I think this means that we need to end this. So that oh no no you're you're the one who says it now. I was going to say <laughs> yes. So that was Korean Airlines Flight 007, Part Two. Yes. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week.